Hello, story lovers and potential Leadville race series racers. I'm Laurel McCargan. You're listening to Alligator Preserves. In today's special episode, number two, about the Leadville race series, we're going to visit with Ty and Roxanne Hall, legends in this race series. So don't go away. Grab a power bar of some sort and get ready to take some notes. Welcome to Alligator Preserves, a weekly podcast about revealing yourself through storytelling, story reading, and story writing, but probably not story arithmetic because that's not a thing. You just might surprise yourself with the secrets you'll uncover. And do I need to put you outside, Ranger, or are you going to go lay down? Go lay down. <laughs> go lay down so we don't hear your clip clop, clip clop, clip clop all the way through this. He's ridiculous. So you two are veterans. (laughs) Ancient. Ancient veterans. I'm going to start with where you met. You met in college, I understand. Now, Roxanne, you are born and raised in Leadville? Yes. Your whole life? Were you, you, Ty? No, I grew up in Virginia. Where in in Virginia? In the Shenandoah Valley. Oh, nice. Kind of out in the... Yeah, the hills there on the border of West Virginia. I grew up at a really small ski resort called Bryce Resort there in Virginia. So, And then I came out here to go to CMC for the ski resort management program. And then went to Western State, finished a business degree, and moved back to Leadville. And you met at Western State? No. Where did Cut. you meet? <laughs> we met here, actually. Ty was... Racing for Colorado Mountain College and for Team Breckenridge for alpine skiing. And I had just graduated from University of Wyoming. So I moved back home for, with my parents for a while. And I was substitute teaching and I got an assistant coaching job for the alpine high school team. Nice. And we met on Dutch Henry. <laughs> That's where we would train, you know, the high school team, but yeah. the college kids would train there too. You met on Dutch Henry Hill. Yeah, we yeah. met on Dutch Henry Hill. Yeah. Which is where they start the 50-mile 50 mountain yeah. bike race for the yes. LT100, yeah. which is always so shocking to it's, watch. Yeah, it's it's a, not the best way for me to start a race. I'm not a good runner. It's so that awful. Always hurts. Straight uphill. Up what's, what's, the, what's the incline? What's the percentage oh, I have of no incline? Idea. It's you know? pretty Too steep. steep. Yeah, I would I would say it's at least forty five degrees. Yeah, it's pretty steep. <laughs> yeah. I would want to, so you uh, love it love at first sight. Yeah, for me it was. Yeah. I had seen her during a, a stay at. Um, I had seen her first out at Ski Cooper. We were out there skiing and training, and I happened to see her in the rental shop. But then I didn't see her for like another year until I saw her on Dutch Henry. We were out there skiing and training with the high school, and yeah, got to meet her there, so it was great. How many years ago have how how many years have you been married? Twenty six years. Twenty six years. Mm-hmm. Nice. So it's like March twenty yeah. first. We yeah <laughs> didn't date that long. So when we first met, it was like twenty eight years ago, and we only dated just over a year or so, and then got married. Yeah, when you know, you know. 
Yeah. yeah. Mike and I dated for maybe a semester and then planned our wedding in 10 days. So we're, <laughs> we're going on 35. Uh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> that's true. That yeah. is true. <laughs> so no. we'll get to the Leadville race series. But first, I would like to know why you race. Either, either of you could start. I mean, I think it just goes along with our, you know, like why I ski raced as a kid, why I did every, you know, activity, played hockey, all those sort of things. Just having that competitive spirit and the love of outdoors and activity, you know, and keeping myself moving, you know, is probably why I do it. I remember signing up for the, I didn't do the very first level 100, but I did the second year and there was whatever, 150 people or something the second year, and I remember signing up for it with my buddy Dave mm-hmm. Bott, and we swore that we were just going to try the Leadville 100 this one year, and even, you know, the biking shoes we got were kind of hiking shoes, because we are like, well, we'll never race again, and I'm like, oh, I think back on those, those kind of statements, and I'm like, wow, it's crazy where I am now from how we started that, but it just started with, hey, let's give it a try, let's... And what year was that? That was whatever the second year they had it. So was that 90? Yeah, I'm not even sure anymore. I'll, I'll look that up. Yeah, you'll have to look <laughs> that up. But um, yeah, it was a long time ago. So yeah, it just started with the love of the outdoors and getting out there and riding and exploring the area. And So you were you were born with this desire to be out and be challenged, do you think? Or did you have mentors? Did you have role models who got you into doing outdoor things? I think for me, and I know, you know, it's different for everybody, but I think I was born with it. I think um, I see the way Roxanne and I are and the way other people are, my brothers, and there's no mistake because my parents were athletic and we skied and played tennis and did a lot of activities, but they never pushed me to race. That was definitely something that was just inside, you know, for sure. And I think, you know, Roxanne will probably say the same thing, but it just, you know, something you love to do and you get into it. And so much of the racing isn't just racing, but the camaraderie you have with other friends and you're hanging out and you get to meet so many awesome people doing this. So it's, you know, there's a lot of reasons to race, but it definitely was just something I've enjoyed to do. And you, Roxanne? When did you first know that you were born to race? Um, You know, I came from a very uh, athletic family. My mom definitely was a role model. She taught me how to mountain bike. Well, not mountain bike, but she taught me how to ride a bike, swim, ski. I had no choice to ski. I mean, she was the ski patrol director at Ski Cooper, and then she was actually... Um, one of the only women in the nation to have the, uh, a ski patrol career. So she was inducted in the Sports Hall of Fame here in Leadville and also in Denver um, for her contribution to the skiing world. You were so, on skis from the time you could stand then. Yeah, probably. so I, I, I grew up skiing, biking, but my passion when I was young was gymnastics. And that's, I loved it so much. And so I was competitive, you know, and then running, I loved to run and of course ski. So I grew up doing all of those. Um, I went to college for cross country skiing, Western State College. 
And then I graduated from University of Wyoming. And then I always had a bike. So biking was pretty much my transportation in college. I had a mountain bike, but I couldn't imagine going out on the rocks and stuff. I thought, this is, I don't want to do that. So when Ty came home, the day he and Dave Bott were talking about doing this 100-mile mountain bike race, the first thing I said was, why would you want to do that? Like, that sounds so, like, A, so awful. Like, it would be so difficult and, like, okay. And that first year, my friend and I crewed together and Phoebe's husband actually was going to try to do it. Wasn't it that year? Yeah. Larry, I think, did it too. <laughs> we knew nothing about crewing. So here we are in the same car. And Ty and Larry were completely different speeds. I missed Ty. I missed him pretty much the whole day. Oh. <laughs> so I and, learned. And were you dependent hmm? upon having her at certain places? Because did they even have all the aid stations that they have now back then? Well, not all of them. They definitely had, you know, like the fish hatchery, but you know, like that, the first several years for a long time, you know, you start the bike race and I mean, literally you were by yourself all day, you know, with a couple hundred people out on the course, like the second year, it's nothing like it is now, you know, you'd be like, where'd everybody go? And so you were definitely on your own. So if you missed eight or something, it's not like there was a ton of people everywhere that you could just borrow some gels or food or something like that you know so it was a little more uh, <clears throat> rustic for sure so you started this in the second year they had the race when did you start Roxanne and we were talking we're talking specifically about the mountain bike race the mountain yeah, bike the, mount, the yeah. mountain mountain bike race so Ty Ty did it a couple you know a couple of years and then I I started really kind of getting into the mountain biking we were in Gunnison Ty was finishing up a business degree, so we started riding a lot of the trails there, and I don't know, I just started getting into it, and then we moved back here. We knew we wanted to stay in Leadville, so, but we had other friends. Usually, I would be the only girl on these rides, and all these guys, it was kind of like sink or swim. Mm -hmm. You're either going to ride with the guys, do what they do, learn from them, or you're not going to get to go at all. Go Which, or go home. Yeah, and, and I look back on that experience, and that was the best thing that ever happened because I, you know, I got into it, and then Ty said, you have to jump into some races before you do the Leadville 100 because if you go in there and that's your first experience, no way. So I did a couple of the, the smaller races like the Veil Series races, and, you know, it was kind of scary. To be in there. Uh, but my first year was 1997. And that year was pretty epic. Because I the, the weekend before, I had gone to a, an all-women's mountain bike camp. It was the best thing I did. Where was that? In Vail. Okay. Mia Stockdale. Um, she was an ex-Olympian. She was the leader of the whole camp. And taught us how to change tire and do all this stuff. And, you know, so I had a little bit of experience doing that. But, um, but the race itself, it was brutal that year. 
I I was having a really good race. And How far was it? How, what was the distance? It was the the hundred. Oh, okay. That was the first year oh, that I did the hundred. Okay. It was it was really challenging because the weather was turning bad and but I was still having a really good race got it to the top of Columbine coming down lost a spoke then my tire was flat so I was trying to keep calm and do what they told me to do and try to you know so I started changing the tire and then it started raining (laughs) And I looked at my watch and I just started crying. I was just so, because I wanted to finish so bad. Yeah. I finished. I finished. You finished. I did finish. You changed the tire. You didn't have a a spare spoke, I don't imagine. No, I didn't, but I had a spare wheel. So I got to the dam. My crew was there. I had a wheel, so I had to do the, you know, put the wheel on and do all this stuff. Nothing was adjusted. The brakes were not working really well. And then it really started raining after that. And I rode as hard as I could home. There was no one left at the finish line Aww. except my mom, my dad, Ty, Dave bought a couple other friends. It was nothing like it is today. Right. Oh, my gosh. So, but that year was pretty epic for me because I finished. Yeah. I finished right under 13 hours. You got the buckle. No, I got the finisher's medal, a finisher's medal, but not a buckle. You have to get under 12 Under 12, okay. And, you know, if all that stuff wouldn't have happened, I would have done it. The next year, I was well under 12 hours, and, you know, so then I just kept doing it. What made the difference between an hour or finish time? Was it the weather? Was it just the fact that you knew how to train? Well, I, I didn't have any mechanicals. That's huge. Yeah. And training, too. Mm-hmm. And experience. To to actually experience the Leadville 100 course in the race is so different from just going out on shorter training rides. And, you know, and nothing compares to actually being in it. It's such a long day. You can't imagine. I mean, so what number... Will this be for you this year? I'm assuming you're both going to do it this year. Yes. What number will this, this be? This will be 17. 17 for you and 17 as well. 17. We actually we didn't land on the same number till like year 10. I skipped a couple of years. I broke my back, had to take a year off. That's when she did it. Then she was hit by a car, and then I, you know, did it and she didn't. But then we've ended managed on the same number, so we're hoping to. I know. Keep going on the same number, but yeah, 17. <laughs> Your accident is, I think, fairly well documented and known. Ten years ago? Ten years yes, ago? Yes, it will be um, ten years ago. It happened June 6th, 2008. Hit by a car going 50 miles an hour and broke practically everything. I had, um, I had a lot of significant oh. injuries, for sure. Do you recall the moment you became aware of what had happened? Yeah, I um, I do remember when it happened. Like, I don't remember being hit or anything, but I remember just snippets of time laying 
on the double yellow line because the car hit me. My friend was behind me. She was probably 20 feet behind me, and the car barely missed her. And she saw the whole thing. So she said that I flew like 20 feet in the air and ended up in the double yellow line. And then they stopped traffic. Other cars had come, you know. But people were standing over me asking me what my name was, what my address was, my, my you know. And I just, I couldn't figure out if I was dreaming or what, where I was. You know, I, I don't remember that. And I don't remember anything until I was in that the emergency room, they took me to St. Anthony's in Summit because I was on the Summit County line. If I would have been on the Lake County line, they would have done Flight for Life to Denver. And I'm so thankful that I ended up where I did because they have such good surgeons, the Vail Valley Summit orthopedic people. Mm -hmm. And the, the guy on call that day, he knew me. He had done a surgery on my dad. And he knew that I was a mountain biker and everything. And the moment he told me that I had broken my back in five places and they had to do emergency surgery within 12 hours or else I would really have damage. Um, Like that moment, I just couldn't fathom. I couldn't realize, you know, I was so scared. And I just told myself that I, if I am not positive, if I am not thinking of really good thoughts right now, my whole life will be ruined. I was like, I'm not going to be able to walk. I'm not going to be able to do our job with the Nordic Center and the cookhouse and skiing. And oh God, I was just, all these things were going through my mind. And, and then part of me was like, am I dreaming? <laughs> Is this real? It was very difficult for me to, grasp what was going on and Ty where were you when this happened I was um sitting at home (laughs) like watching you know the morning news they had left really early in the morning and somebody had I mean it was like 8 30 or something 8 in the morning somebody had called me when they got back into Leadville you know there's no cell service up there people went both directions with cell phones trying to get reception yeah, time. so the guy who come to the Leadville side um, to call 911, he called me, and he, I still wish I could find who that guy was, because I have no idea who it was, I'd like to thank him, but he just called and was like, hey, I really hate to tell you this, and I could tell by the tone in his voice that it was very serious, and he said, but your wife's been hit by a car, and he said, you should get up there right away, and of course, I hopped in the car and uh, went up there literally as fast as I could. And I got there just maybe 30 seconds before the ambulance did. And I found her, you know, laying on the, in the street and in the road. And another friend of ours who we knew who was um, a wilderness first responder had had a bunch of blankets in her car and had covered her all up with blankets trying to keep her warm because it was cold in the morning and the pavement was cold. And yeah, so I found her there, but... The ambulance showed up, and I remember seeing the friend that she was with and her look in her face of horror, you know, um, when she saw me. And, uh, yeah, it it sucked, you know. It's uh, something I try not to even think about. <laughs> it's just a bummer. But, um, yeah, so they, 
swooped in, picked her up, and then we went to the hospital. And of course, it was just days and days of figuring out what was wrong. And it seemed like every time they fixed her back and they're like, okay, we fused that. And then her liver and pancreas were bleeding awful. And she was getting really, you know, distempered and big. And then she was in the pretty much unconscious for like three days. And when she started to wake up a little bit and she could tell him something was wrong with the knee. And then we went into the whole, you know, severed ACL, MCL, you know, it just, the injuries and damage just kept going and going and going. And yeah, it was, it was tough, but I think what's the most important part of that is just the way that she's come back and done such an amazing job with recovery and racing and and, uh, how many years after the accident before you raced again she did the hundred the following year but it was a it was it was a year a full year of physical therapy recovery only a year yeah now i will tell you that laying there in the icu like before the surgery when they said that my back was broken because i thought they didn't tell me any of that. Ty told the, the doctors not to tell me about my internal injuries because they might actually send me into, like, I'm not mm-hmm. going to live or something, mm-hmm. thing, you know. So I didn't know. I just thought. So this is what I said before I went in for surgery to Ty. I said, Ty, I've had broken bones before, and it only takes about four weeks. And do you think I could do the hundred? Do you think I'll be re- for that year? And Ty just looked at me and he said, Roxanne, there, no. He's like, you're not going to be able to do the 100 this year. And Two months later, you wanted to do the race. I wanted to do it. But at this moment, at that moment, I just thought, well, they're going to fix my back. And hopefully. So they did the surgery on my back because they had to do that right immediately. And then... The surgeons came in and they got me up on a walker because they do that like almost immediately. So I got up on a walker. And as soon as I got up on that walker, my good knee, not the knee that I've had Mm. some major breaks, was just moving in a different direction. And I immediately said, there's something really wrong with my knee. And the doctor was like, you're so banged up. You have so many injuries. He said, and I said, no, no, no. I said, no, I know knees. Something's really wrong. So then later that day, they took me in for another MRI. And then later the evening, a different doctor came in and he said, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but you severed your ACL, you tore your MCL, we have to do major surgery on it, but we can't do the surgery for two months because oh. of your back. It has to be stable. We will have to replace your the, the ACL. And I, I just burst into tears. It was almost worse than, my, you know, I just was like, ah. Oh. So that was the reality for me that, I will not be doing a hundred this year, and I may not be. Able to do you do think that your past racing and a desire to continue it? Do you think that helped you heal as remarkably as you have? 
Yeah. I, I truly, I always think, you know, for some reason, I always had this like goal, this like Leadville 100. And I, I use that because the Leadville 100 for me, it's like home. You know, it's, it's a home race and it's so epic. You know, it's so difficult. You know, a lot of people say, oh, it's like a road race and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and it's like, no, it's not. You still have to have skills. You still, and I don't care who you are, it hurts mm-hmm. <laughs> or how many times you've done it. And it's some special thing. And I think when you are born and raised in Leadville and it's like your hometown thing, it's more special. So for me, having that in my mind the whole entire time, I think it helped me to actually survive, you know, to, to, to come back. And I was like bound and determined. I was so injured and I couldn't move for so long. And I felt like I told Ty one day, I said, Tyson, I feel like I'm trapped in my own body. I feel like I just need to move if I could move at all. You know, if I can, and this was before they did the, the knee surgery. I said, can you, do you think I could just get on my wind trainer in the, in the garage? Just please help me. And so Ty set it up for me. He got it, got me on it. And I still had this brace and I had to wear my back brace, but I got on and I just could barely get around one pedal stroke and one pedal, pedal stroke and I, I would just, the doctors did not give me permission to do it that early. <laughs> I was not, going to ask about your physical not therapy. Not before, not before. But I was like, Ty, I just feel, I, I just felt like I need to move. Mm-hmm. I need, I'm so trapped in my, you know, it was mm-hmm. such an awful feeling. I've never been so, you So know, you're listening to your body telling you. I need to move to heal. Yes, I need to heal, like more mentally almost. But physically, I was just like, I feel like if I could move, it's going to help. And so Ty got me on, and and sure enough, I mean, it helped me. It helped me so much. And then the doctors, after my knee surgery, (laughs) they gave me permission. You know, then I was starting full physical therapy and, you know, everything. So It was, yeah, it was days, I mean... After getting you out of the hospital and stuff, it was two, three days a week of down to summit for checkups because she had doctors for the internal injuries, the orthopedic injuries. It was like it was a nonstop effort and then physical therapy and the whole thing. But it was really good to watch. But I think when you're, you know, athletic and used to doing that kind of stuff, it's what you need to do to recover. And there's no mistake just moving and you know, like you asked earlier, it's setting those goals. It's those, those carrots out there, if you will. You're like, okay, let's do this. Let's, you know, if it's the hundred or the 50 or any other bike race, you're like, or any event, you're like, let's set the bar, especially coming back from an injury. You're like, let's see if we can get recovered, you know, in a year's time. To my listeners out there today, I hope you're enjoying my episode with Ty and Roxanne Hall, and I hope you might consider becoming a patron of the Alligator Preserves podcast for as little as $1 a month. Go to patreon.com forward slash alligator preserves for more information, and stay tuned as we hear more about the amazing stories of these incredible 
racers. And so I read you've had several challenges as well. A benign brain tumor that you had to go through radiation for. And you currently have chronic pancreatitis that's managed, but, you know, something you'll be dealing with. Yeah. And knee. <laughs> no, I don't have or, any knee no, problems. No knee problems? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or you, you said you broke your back. I broke my back and um, I had to have that fused and then I had my neck fused. How did that happen? Just, um, well, that was a, uh, a miscalculation scheme. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah, it just... <laughs> Took a jump, landed in the flats, pancakes, broke my back in four places. And, you know, I had to take, it was almost two years off of mountain biking. I rode a little bit, but I didn't race the 100, but I had to have it. I had to wait for the, you know, the brakes to heal. And Did you, know, you ever was, fear that you would not race again? No, I didn't really fear that. I definitely thought it may not be the same, you know, but I got, um, you know, healed up from that. And once they fused my back, that's when it was... Because I, I did the 100 shortly after I broke my back. It was like, maybe it was a year after. But um, it really hurt. And I remember that. But once they fused it and got the lower spine fused like to my sacrum and stuff, that took away the pain. And it was amazing the difference I had from racing with the discomfort to getting that over with. Um, like I was so much faster on the bike because I wasn't stopping trying to stretch or get rid of that pain or whatever so that was really good the chronic pancreatitis that i have is kind of a family thing unfortunately so i I didn't know that it's a hereditary thing it can be it's very rare that it's hereditary usually it's caaused by alcohol you know you don't don't strike me as right having those tendencies i mean i have some beers after (laughs) a race but not yeah not like that um but unfortunately mine's yeah family so i just have to watch my diet be careful with fatty foods, things like that. So, and then it was, yeah, it was like, what, seven years ago or six years ago. I started noticing I was having balance problems. I remember mountain biking with my little brother and Fruta and I kept blowing off the single track trail and I'm like, what in the world is going on? And I couldn't figure it out, you know, and I, I wasn't feeling like super dizzy, but I just couldn't figure out why I was having trouble a little bit with balance. And then um, they did an MRI and found a tumor on the right side of my head, um, a vestibular schwannoma. And so I had to go through um, radiation for that, and, and which I chose to do instead of taking it out. Taking it out is really invasive. Risky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I did the, the radiation, which I didn't, you know, you don't feel it per se, so you don't think it really affects you. But I remember going through the radiation and then trying to, it was in the fall that I had the radiation. And then I tried the winter mountain bike race out at the Nordic center. And I remember barely getting up to the cookhouse and I was like, Oh my gosh. Too soon. Yeah, it was too soon. I was like, (laughs) okay, this is kicking my butt. Um, but I think riding, you know, just like what you asked Roxanne, you know, riding and getting all that stuff out of your system and just pushing it and getting your blood flowing and, and moving, it just helps you heal. It helps you recover, you know, not just mentally, but even more so physically. So, so I think you said in an article I read that now there's a new normal with with all the things that you've experienced physically. There's a new normal to your training and your expectations, maybe. Yeah, definitely. I think you get to the point you're just like it. Just is what it is with what you have or what your doubts or whatever you know because a lot of people go through a lot of things and i'm always amazed at all the great stories 
especially that you see involved at the level 100 and people coming back from amazing things, cancer and you know, you look at Chris Klug and all these other the great first, first people. Ascent yeah, exactly. Yeah. First ascent, all the military guys that show up. So right. yep. it puts a lot of things into perspective because you're like, well, if they can do this, I can do this. And I remember when yeah. Roxanne was hit, how many people would come up to her and say, you know, I saw that you were doing it. So I decided to get up and give it a go. And that's what, right. you know, all these things are kind of about. And you definitely get to that point as well. And so, um, yeah, that's that's up tremendously, the 100 and all these bike races. What would you say the greatest benefit to doing ultras is? For me, I think, um, I mean, not just the, it's it's a lot of mental, you know, because I think um, people's bodies can do more than they, they realize. But so many, I've seen it so many times where people stop, and not just ultras, but other bike races and they quit. So I think one of the biggest benefits in life period is knowing that you can accomplish something that you set your mind to. Ken Clover's yeah. grit, guts, I mean, and determination. Right. I hate that. <laughs> yeah. I hate to say he's right, it's but he's right. <laughs> you know, you're like, it's so true. Like you can do it. And then it's funny how many times I think about um at work, you're like, okay, I gotta go do this thing for four hours. You're like, well, it's not nine hours of the hundred, you know, so it starts to put things into perspective. You're like, well, I'm not going to have to ride the hundred today. This is only four hours. So you're like, it does. It keeps things, you know, kind of real. You know, you're not going to suffer the way that you do in the hundred or the 50 or whatever it is. You're like, you know what? This is okay. You know, so it can give perspective to a lot of things in your life. What do you think? I agree with Ty. Um, but I also see it as... I don't know. I had a very spiritual experience with my accident. I mean, literally. <laughs> I had a dream. It was probably a month after I was hit. I had this profound dream about a design because I just, I didn't want anyone else, especially the girlfriends who I would ride with. I was like, if anybody else gets hit by a car or anything, I just wanted. But it was so weird because I had this dream about a guardian angel bike. It was very vivid design. And I'm an artist, so I wasn't surprised. But it was like I felt compelled to make some kind of little thing, like a charm or necklace or something that people could wear when they're biking, you know, and not that I would have the power to, um, you know, to help, to help them, but something's happening with some, I'm getting a message from something else and people can believe whatever they want to believe, but it was like my, this thing, like I, I felt like I had to do it. So I started making these little guardian angel bike necklaces and it's all in French because that was what one of my majors in college, French and art. Mm -hmm. So it, my dream was in French. <laughs> so it's Ange Guardien du Vélo, which means guardian angel of the bike. And then below it says Bonne Chance, which is good, good luck. luck. Yeah. So I started making these little things. And Ty saw me making them. And he was like, what is that? And <sighs> I said, Ty, I just feel like I want to make some of these for my girlfriends. So they're safe. You know, at mm -hmm. least they, they'll, they'll know that I'm thinking about them. And Ty was like, I need one. 
So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll make you one. And I said, do you think guys would wear one of those? And he was like, yeah. So that year that I was in my back brace on crutches, I had just had my knee surgery right before the Leadville 100. That was the first year that Lance Armstrong showed up. So it was like a big, you know, big to do. Everybody mm-hmm. was like buzzing and I was so, I was, you know, a little bit bummed because I was, I didn't get to do it and I had to watch. And I had been on crutches for so long that Fritz from Melanzana, Mm -hmm. he made me little crutch covers and a little pouch on my crutches. So I filled that little pouch with a whole bunch of my little necklaces. And before the race, I literally... I was giving them out to oh, people who ever gosh. wanted one. You know, I said, do you want a good luck, mm-hmm. you know, necklace? And mm-hmm. people wanted them. Then after the race, like a couple months later, I started getting calls, like phone calls and people ordering the Guardian Angel Bank necklaces. So now you necklaces, earrings, earrings t-shirts, zipper zipper Yeah, poles. I did. Yeah. And then... You know, a little later, I actually had a website, but it was so hard to keep up with, with all of our other stuff. Mm -hmm. I just, I can't do it anymore, but I still make my jewelry and I sell it at Harper Rose Mm -hmm. Galleries. Harper Rose Gallery is wonderful. And I still, I still, yeah. And I, I donate a lot of the money still to the trails or the high school team. And, and I always give them away, you Mm know, Mm -hmm. if people want one I just give kind, them kind of like me with my books I yeah give it's it away kind of like because it's not like a bit you know business or anything yeah, like yeah. that but because that's not the reason why but right. so for me when I do these ultra distance things there is a bit of a spirituality thing going on mm-hmm. you know you always have moments out there where you're just like you know I love I love nature. I am so thankful I'm here. And it kind of gives you time to, you know, to reflect. What about sacrifices you've had to make in order to compete? I'm trying to think of some of the sacrifices. But, I mean, I think it's been such so much fun and pleasure. I never really think of it as, like, sacrifices. Especially because Roxanne and I do it together. I definitely see a lot of people or friends that definitely sacrifice time and their family and their friends um or their kids you know and um and we have a lot of friends that do it like that and it's amazing how much their family support it but because Roxanne and I do it together and we don't have kids as far as our family side or our relationship it hasn't been a sacrifice it's been even more of a blessing or a bonding I mean we go out and ride together and train together and travel together to all these different races so from my perspective I think the only sacrifice sometimes I make is maybe work (laughs) because you're like, well, I should be at work today, but (laughs) I'm choosing to, to ride, you know? So that's true for us or for me, it's not really the sacrifice, you know? Um, have you ever ridden tandem? No. Well, we have a, we have a, and you're, and you're indicating that you, we actually have a tandem cruiser that will, you know, take to the pub every now and no, then. No, that's them. fun. That's it. <laughs> but I don't know. I have had so many people come up to me and say, you and Ty should do the 100 on a tandem. And there's no way. Tell me because, why not. Because Ty is so... Now, I 
I do really well on the downhills as yeah. well. Yeah. But Ty is so fast. I think I would probably be just screaming at him the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> like Ty. Yeah, and I'd rather not hear him screaming at me the whole time. <laughs> I'd probably so. we'd probably do okay, but yeah. it would be. I mean, I think that would be absolutely scary. <laughs> so you have yeah. one for just recreational just for, fun, yeah. just for fun just yeah. for fun yeah okay. I'd rather we'll be stick to the, the pub bike we'll stick to that one <laughs> let's see food you oh. eat real food right yeah i definitely am for the hundred in most races you know like even this we were at a 12-hour race this last uh, saturday mesa verde and yeah i eat you know i had fig newtons and i had some bananas and i had you know um, turkey and cheese sandwich and you know things like that so I definitely stick with the real food I do use some of the endurance you know drink type stuff um the perpetuum you know during uh, during the race yeah, yeah but those are kind of the only things um that I do I will in emergencies if I feel like my sugar is really going down and I'm bonking something awful use a gel or something like that but I think the nutrition for people in racing is very personal. You know, it's people have different body types mm-hmm. and they know what they can eat and digest and take in. I always think about eating foods, though, that I know I can get calories and source from fast, you know, like figs and things that are easy to digest. With no upset. Yeah. yeah. How about you, Roxanne? I do mostly liquid stuff, like Ty was saying, perpetuum type of you know, stuff or, but I also like the little, um, scratch lab gummy things, you know, those Mm -hmm. are fine. Sometimes kind of a little treat and, um, or sometimes the little like gel packs. My problem is I can never reach my back pocket, you know, cause when you're, when you're so fatigued Mm -hmm. or it might be technical or something like that. So I reaching back or even sometimes chewing. Yeah, yeah. or chewing. Yeah. I mean, it's like yeah. sometimes I just stick something in my jaw and it just like sits there for a while, you know. <laughs> Although my dentist, you know, has said, "Ma'am, that's probably not really good for your teeth." But <laughs> but I found a great solution personally for food and stuff that I can access. I have little pockets sewn onto the front of my jersey, and that's kind of big a little a little new idea yeah that might be my next endeavor but i have little pockets in the front and then i it's right there i can just grab whatever i need and so that's helped me a lot okay (laughs) any races you've started and not finished the only time i haven't finished a race is like when i crash or something breaks you know bad bike or me but, um, yeah, which has happened, but, um, no. And I think that, yeah, it comes from like that hundred spirit and stuff. I mean, once you decide to start something, you, you got to finish it, you got to go, you know? So I can't, none that I've ever quit voluntarily. Okay. You? So the one that I almost was forced to quit because I crashed really bad was in the silver rush. 50 and I was having such a good race and I was coming on my way home and I hit a rock. I mean, I was just flying on Iowa Gulch and I flipped over, landed on my back, 
got up. I was so concerned because I didn't want the girls behind me to catch me. But I, as soon as I got up, I couldn't lift my arm. I was like, oh, my God. And I, I was bleeding, and I got on my bike, barely made it. I made it to the finish line, and as soon as I went across the finish line, Marilee saw Ty, and he's, she said, Ty, you have to take her right immediately to the emergency room. But I finished. I ended up, sla- I don't remember what place. before or after your accident? This was before. Before, before. Okay. yeah, mm-hmm. this was before, and... I ended up with stitches, and I separated my shoulder. Mm. So that was a bummer, but um, but I did finish. <laughs> All right. So for newbies doing the race this year, what is your most helpful tip or most helpful tips? For sh- Go yeah. ahead. For sure, get involved in um, maybe camps. Or for sure, jump in some races before you get into the hundred. Um, and the camps is it is it too late to get into the camps now for this year? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think it's too late. The camp is awesome because um, actually Ty and I help with the camp. How would they find out about that? Where would they go to for that um, information? To the website, the the Lego like one hundred race yeah. series. Yeah, okay. it's fun because. We cover the whole entire course in sections mm-hmm. and really go through. I think people come into the camp with these different expectations. And then when they come out, they're like, okay, yeah, this is kind of not what I was <laughs> Do people have, what, what are their expectations? Do they, do they think it's not going to be as difficult as they anticipate? My experience with the camp is that many people think it's going to be more like a road race okay there the middle part of the course is kind of like a road race because it's on the pavement well it's on the pavement like between the fish hatchery and twin lakes but everything on each end is a lot of climbing a lot of descending kind of gnarly stuff plus you're at really high altitude Mm -hmm. So, you know, at the camp, people show up with, like, almost semi-slick tires and (sighs) not really equipped and maybe not with the skills that they need for mountain biking. Okay. So I would say the skills. Getting into races even in your hometown, Mm -hmm. you know, because you see a lot of people show up and if they haven't done a lot of racing, it's really easy to get super nervous and kind of wound up and... With the numbers that yeah. the Leadville Trail 100 mountain bike brings in each year. Yes. We're talking. The start's crazy. So you have to get a little used to riding in crowds and, you know, next it's to people. Scary. So I think doing races at your hometown or, you know, little short track things or whatever it is help a lot to help calm the nerves, you know, because you, you've already been there. You've been to a start line before, you know, because you see people come and, um, you know, get a little you know, upset or just super nervous, you know, and they can't calm down. Do you think it's helpful for people to come up in advance of the race? And and if if so, how much in advance, how many days in advance would be helpful to them? I mean, unless you can be here like, you know, a month or something or three weeks to really, you know, completely acclimate. I definitely think five to seven days is really good. I have seen people make the attempt of, you know, well, I'm just going to show up on Thursday and check in on Friday and do the race on Saturday. And even though 
I think it's that was days of old where they thought if you showed up within 48 hours of the race, your body wouldn't recognize that you're at altitude, you know, which was always a funny one. But I've seen, I've had friends that do that. It just, it doesn't work. So if you can come that five to seven days or a week before and hang out, relax, get to know, you know, and your body does get a little bit used to being here. It may not be acclimated, but you're like, okay, I'm in a good sleep pattern here. I'm getting some rest and, and doing some easy rides around town or mineral belt trail and you get used to seeing everybody around. I think that helps a lot. So I think that week, definitely. Most important gear they should carry. And oh, by the way, could it snow on them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, some in of the, August. Yeah, some of the weather things that we've dealt with over the years, you know, we've had some really good ones recently to where the weather's been great, but man, I've been caught out there in some nasty, nasty hailstorms. Lightning. You know, on top of combine and lightning on I mean like scary. Sugarloaf scary and lightning. power line. Wind. And, yeah. yeah. So I think being prepared, but you know, with this with having crew helps a lot. If you have crew members, so it's just having that cold weather gear can help, you know, with the, the rain. People are used to rain. Like when I go back home in Virginia and ride in the rain, well, it's still 80 degree rain. It's, it's not, like bath water. Yeah. It's nice. Up here, hypothermia. Up here, it's your hypothermic, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I remember one year we did it and you weren't racing that year, but, uh, man, we came off the power line and people were dropping out like flies and I couldn't believe it. Because all we had to do was climb up the lake road and back, but every they were so cold, and people were just getting in the back of trucks, and because oh, they they were I completely underprepared for the temperatures of the rain, mm-hmm. you know, it's just wicked cold. Yeah. So. Okay. Good. Good tips there. Uh, tell me about tomorrow chase. Oh, the tomorrow chaser. The tomorrow so chaser. That started a couple of years ago as a fundraiser for. The Leadville Legacy, which the Leadville Legacy here in town, um, you know, supports all the, the youth programs. If you don't know, you know, they, every kid that graduates high school here in Lake County and goes on to higher education gets a thousand dollar scholarship, which that's huge. They also support, you know, full circle, head start, all the, the great programs here in town. So that program is where I start dead last in the race. And um, it started with Transamerica, and there's different sponsors now, and also personal donations that people make. And for every person I pass, they donate, you know, a certain amount of money. Um, so I start dead last. The last couple of years, give or take a few, I've passed uh, 1,400 people. And I think last year we raised, with corporate and personal donations, almost... 30 or just over $35,000. Wow. So it's a large amount of money. And I think the best thing about that program is that all the money stays here in Leadville um, and goes to the Leadville youth and community. So it's really, I'm really proud and psyched to be a part of it. Knowing that it it stays here in Leadville, you know, how many more years will you both be racing? Maybe the 20, but of course at the end of every year, I swear I'll never do it again. And so, (laughs) Um, it depends on when you ask me that question. So the race, it's, it's the spring. So, um, I'll say 20, but. Roxanne? Yeah, I definitely, I, de- I mean, we're so close. Mm-hmm. I definitely want to make it Just to 20. Years, yeah. And who knows, you know, I might want to go even further. 
My only concern is the the number of people in the race. It's it's so big now, and it's it's just difficult. I mean, the you know, there's other parts of the course like going up Columbine, and it's there's so many people. It's yeah. kind, it's scary actually. The race has been growing with additional races added to it. Were right. either of you led man, led, led woman ever? No, I if can't I run. could run, okay. <laughs> if I could run, because I can't run anymore because of my fusion and knees and whatever mm-hmm. but i think if i could run i would totally try the I, the lead woman i know you would but i there, no i won't do that <laughs> i think it's been you know the race numbers are always you know tricky but when you've done it as long as i have and when you've been at the starting line with only 110 people and what you see now I personally think is great. You know, I mean, there's a lot of numbers. I know there's traffic and that sort of thing. But when you look at the big picture of, you know, when I came here in 1988 and saw Leadville half to three quarters boarded up and to see what the the race brings and the amount of people and the businesses and how much support all the racers give our community, you know, with, with supporting businesses and eating out and everything that goes along with all this and, we could never support a bike shop before, but if it wasn't That's for true. the Levo 100 and all the race series, we now have a bike shop in town. So there's a lot of positive ends to that. And yeah, there's people out on the course or a lot of people out on the course, but I think it's been, it's been really good. Will you keep the, the Tennessee Pass Nordic Center and Cookhouse and, and all that going forever? Yeah, that's definitely our plan, or as long as we can. You know, um, maybe someone takes the reins from us someday, but um, we keep it going during the race. We have a great staff and a great crew, so even though Roxanne and I are racing and involved in the camps and the 50 and all this kind of other stuff, our business is open, full bore and going. So, Anything special happened in there this year? Um, you know, we're, we're always... Uh, just working on doing a good job with our overnight sleep yurts and the cookhouse. And, and we do events for the hundred out there. We do the 50, we do the camp out there at the Nordic center dinners. Um, and then hopefully we're going to add some more overnight Mm -hmm. yurts, but you know, those have been really popular. So hopefully we'll just keep that going. I'm going to have links to all these things that we talked about in the podcast. So people can find out more information about that. Nice. How do, how do you two want to be remembered? (laughs) <laughs> well we're not that old yet so i haven't thought, thought I that much about I, it i think you should i think you should start thinking about it now i think everyone should start thinking about how they want to be remembered when they have time to think about it right for um, me just got a good person you know we have always um tried to do whatever we could for our community our friends you know i mean bike racing is fun but i think that's a small part of my personal goals in life you know it's great it's you know, it's awesome. It's something I do to, you know, to, to stay in shape and, and it's a lot of fun. But I think in the big picture, it's being involved in our community and giving as much as we can to uh, our friends in our community. Roxanne, um, will you second that? <laughs> yes, I second that. That's a great, that's a pretty profound statement. I guess I would want to be remembered for being a survivor and... But for sharing, you know, that's not the important thing. I want to help other people. If they, if I can be an ins, 
inspiration to anyone to do to do even small things that's uh, that's a good job for me i would like to be remembered for that is there anything else you would like to tell anyone out there interested in the leadville race series yeah, I think the first step to doing it is sign up. Sign <laughs> you know, up. I, I tell my sign friends up. that all the time. I'm like, just sign up. You'll figure it all out later. You know, sign up. Yeah. You'll figure out how to train. You'll figure out how to do your bike. But the best thing you can do is sign. Always have that goal out there in front of you. You know, because that's, you know, it's it's the life thing. You're like, just put that carrot out there and, and go for it. Ty, Roxanne, Hall, thank you very much for your stories and your inspiration and your tips. And again, I'll have links to your site and some of the things that we've mentioned. And we'll be out there this year um, cheering you on. Mike is doing his, I think this is his 12th time doing it. Yeah, he's been awesome. Yeah, I know he's done lead man too. He's a four-time so. lead man. Yeah, yeah. that's great. So awesome. We'll be out there crewing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for having us. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thanks. You can find today's show notes with links and photos on my website at leadvillelaurel.com. If you felt today's episode was valuable or other episodes as well, please subscribe to Alligator Preserves, you know, wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends about it. I hope you'll even support me on Alligator Preserves. Find me on Patreon. Check out the rewards you will receive. I've already published three unique short stories for patrons of a certain level. So join me next time when I'll talk about something completely different. And until then, let's see what would a an ultra racer spread on their toast. Oh, just about anything, I think. Let's go with fig preserves. Bye. Alligator Preserves is hosted and produced by Laurel McCard with technical support provided by her husband, Mike McCard. Follow her on her website at leadvillelaurel.com where she writes about life, real, and imagined. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy her books. Find her work at amazon.com.